You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This segment is made possible by an educational grant from Shire Pharmaceuticals. Welcome to Updates from the Mayo Clinic, focusing on primary care pediatrics and child mental health. Here's your host, Dr. Peter S. Jensen, a childhood and adolescent psychiatrist and professor of psychiatry at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. We would like to welcome to our show today Dr. Stephen Whiteside, a very expert and esteemed uh, colleague of mine here at Mayo, but also known nationally and internationally for his skills and uh, research in the area of pediatric anxiety disorders. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Peter. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's a real privilege. I think it's a very interesting topic to think about what we call as pediatric anxiety disorders. And so I guess the first question I would wonder about is just really how common are anxiety disorders in children and adolescents? We don't like to think of mental health problems in children and adolescents, but just what's going on there, Stephen? The short answer is that anxiety disorders are fairly common in kids and adolescents. Uh, Of course, anxiety is a natural part uh, of growing up. It's a natural part of being an adult as well. And we call uh, an anxiety uh, a disorder when it becomes a problem in a child's life. Either it causes a lot of distress uh, or it gets in the way of them doing things that they need to do and that they want to do. So estimates of how frequent uh, anxiety disorders are vary, um, usually around uh, 8%, uh, sometimes higher. Uh, and often they are thought to be one of the most common, if not the most common, uh, mental health problems in youth. You know, I've heard that as well. And now, you know, I haven't specialized in the anxiety disorders uh, so much, but I've heard it said that they are the most common if you actually look across the board. And in fact, as I recall, I did I was involved in one national study where we did an epidemiologic survey door-to-door and household-to-household in four communities across the U.S., and as I recall now, that's exactly what we found. They're that they were the most common of all of the disorders. Yes, and and that is measuring uh, people who have enough anxiety that it's clearly problematic uh, to qualify for uh, a diagnosis. And as I mentioned before, anxiety is a normal uh, part of of being human. Uh, and so there's certainly people who may be having uh, distress and problems with their fears and worries that are more than we typically like to see, uh, but are not quite enough to qualify for a, a disorder. So there's another large chunk of kids and teenagers who would fall into that uh, subclinical uh, range of, of anxiety disorders that uh, often uh, are interested in and could benefit from, from treatment and, and, and help. You know, I recall... Um that whole issue of just how common makes me think of, you know, my parenting five children myself and all of the anxieties and worries they had. And I know that many kids get anxious before tests now, even in third and fourth grade, these these structured tests. But how do you really separate out what's kind of part and parcel of life and what uh, would be called an anxiety disorder? You know, and that's sometimes hard to do. And, and I think it's it's helpful for us to try to be realistic that uh, mental health, uh, despite our best efforts, is not an exact science. Uh, and the, the difference between everyday worries and worries that are significant enough for us to call them anxiety disorders, uh, in some cases is very clear, in other cases is, is blurred, and it's a gray area, and it's hard to make that distinction. 
Um, in general, if fear and worry is upsetting to the child, um, they're starting to avoid doing things that they uh, normally would or would be expected of them, it's harder for them to go to school, they're not wanting to uh, spend as much time with friends, if they avoid going certain places, or it's causing a lot of distress, a lot of crying, being upset, um, talking about it frequently at night. Those are times when uh, parents would want to think about talking to a, uh, a medical professional about, about the fears and worries. Uh, and there's no harm to, to talking to a professional and getting some uh, advice. Um, you know, that professional may say that this is uh, pretty typical, let's watch and wait, uh, or they can you know, discuss some treatment options. It's always up to the family you know, what they want to do with that information. You know, many of our listeners are pediatricians or family practitioners, and so they're often going to be that professional that the family's going to turn to. What should the pediatrician be looking for? I mean, what would, they, what would we want them as our listeners to know, wow, don't miss this kid. What would be a real significant severe case that really warrants clinical attention that's not gray? That's a that's an important question because uh, only approximately 30% of youth with anxiety disorders uh, actually get treatment. Uh, so that suggests that the vast majority are uh, are not getting help for their for their fears and worries. Uh, so. If a family comes in with concerns about anxiety, and it's probably something that needs to be taken seriously um, because oftentimes it's missed. Uh, either kids don't know that it's, uh, it's out of the ordinary because that's the way they've always experienced things. Uh, anxious kids are often pretty well behaved, uh, and so they don't stand out as much to parents or teachers as kids with ADHD or behavior problems. It's interesting. So when the parent makes an issue of it, it's important that the physician pay attention. Parents don't make issues out of mental health-related kinds of concerns very often, but you're saying when they do, perk up your ears. Certainly, yes. Now, it doesn't mean for a fact that, that everyone who comes in uh, has an anxiety disorder, but it certainly means that there's enough there that you want to pay attention to ask some other questions. So what are the more common kinds of anxiety disorders that a primary care provider might see. It, it could be helpful to have a handful of questions uh, to probe for each of the anxiety disorders. Uh, so generalized anxiety disorder uh, becomes more frequent as, as kids start to get older. Uh, and so asking questions about uh, it's simply, do you worry a lot? And do you find you worry about lots of different things? Is it hard to stop worrying? That question there can be helpful for finding kids who tend to be worried. Um, also, in adolescence, kids tend to uh, develop more social phobia. Uh, so asking questions about, are you shy? Do you feel nervous around other kids? Uh, is it hard for you to meet new kids? Or is it hard for you to give uh, 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 talks or presentations at, at school? With younger kids, uh, separation anxiety disorder uh, is, is, is one of the more frequent uh, disorders. So asking the kids and the parent, uh, does your child have difficulty separating? Is it hard to, for them to leave you to go to school? Is it hard for them to be left with a, uh, with a babysitter? Uh, those are some of the main anxiety disorders uh, that uh, primary care uh, providers should be prepared to look for and ask about with simple questions that are worded in everyday language. Uh, 
Uh, it also the other anxiety disorders include uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, and and so providers can ask, uh, does the child do anything uh, out of the ordinary over and over again, like wash their hands, count things, arrange things, uh, and uh, specific phobia. Does a child have any big fears that seem out of the ordinary or seem uh, excessive for their age? Like what would be examples of that? Uh, fears of animals are one of the most uh, frequent. So uh, uh, a phobia of dogs, uh, fears of uh, bugs. Many kids uh, are afraid, uh, many of us, myself included, don't like snakes very much. Uh, so can have fears of snakes or bugs. Um, but we really... Wouldn't want to, don't need to focus on that unless it's something that causes problems. So for example, kids who are staying inside, they don't go outside and play in the in the yard because they're afraid of a dog might come by or that there are bugs around uh, or that may come across bees. Uh, would be yeah. you you mentioned this issue uh, this term avoidance, and is that what you're referring to as when they actually don't do things most kids would normally do? Yes. Uh, so avoidance is uh, so anxiety disorders uh, have three parts. Uh, one is the physical feelings or somatic symptoms. Uh, so the uh, feeling anxious, uh, changes in your body, upset stomachs, um, tension in your muscles. Uh, then there's also a behavioral uh, part, which is acting anxious. Uh, which is largely staying away from things that make you feel nervous. And then finally, there's a cognitive part, so the thoughts, the worries, the overestimation that bad things are going to happen. Those three parts make up anxiety disorders. Well, you know, for our listeners, I think one of the issues, once you've found them, let's say they've uh, found that one in three that do get fined, or maybe maybe our listeners are going to find two out of three. Uh, We're going to up the ante just a bit. But this term that I've heard bandied about, evidence-based treatments, uh, what does that really mean when it comes to what are the proven evidence-based treatments for anxiety disorders in kids? So the term in general refers to treatment approaches uh, that have been studied, uh, that there's research to suggest that they are more effective than doing something else. Uh, So the first step typically is to show that a treatment, whether it be a psychotherapy uh, or a medication, is more effective than doing nothing. And that would be based on research, I would guess. Yeah, that would be based on research studies where uh, uh, where the researchers put kids into one of two groups, one that gets therapy and one that just doesn't get any intervention, and they see how they're doing three months later. Uh, once uh, a treatment has been found to be effective, then the next steps in the research is trying to f- compare different treatments. So is this is treatment A more effective than, or does it lead, help kids more than treatment B does? And that's what we're referring to when we say evidence-based uh, treatment or evidence-based medicine, empirically supported treatment is another term for it. So at this point, with anxiety disorders, um, the good news is, is that there are uh, effective treatments for uh, kids and adolescents who are having problems with fears and worries. Uh, one uh, approach is cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, which helps kids learn strategies for, ma- for managing anxiety and helps them use those strategies as they face their fears. Uh, so the technical term uh, that mental health providers use for this type of treatment is exposure-based treatment. And exposure is 
merely when you confront what you're afraid of. So if you're afraid of dogs, an exposure would be to go up to a dog and pet that dog. Uh, and so that's the psychotherapy that has the most evidence to support it as being a helpful way to reduce kids' fears and worries. You know, I was interested when you earlier were describing the various parts of anxiety, you mentioned there's an emotional, affective part, there's a behavioral part, and a cognitive part. It sounds like what you're saying is that some of these effective therapies actually go after each of those parts. That's exactly right. Uh, so the the main portion of, of effective therapy most likely is, is exposures, facing your fears. Uh, and that is directly addressing the behavioral avoidance piece, but it's also thought to work by changing thoughts so that through your experience you learn that the anxious thoughts that bad things were likely to happen and be overwhelming uh, are unlikely to come true. So you, those thoughts start to change those, those experiences. You also start to learn that your, man, your emotions are more manageable than you felt they were when you were feeling anxious. However, there are other, uh, other components of uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety, that specifically target uh, the thoughts and the emotions. Uh, so there are um, learning a plan for uh, identifying your thoughts and weighing how likely it is your thoughts are, are accurate, uh, and also sometimes using relaxation strategies to help reduce your feelings of anxiety. Well, you know, this, this kind of therapy sounds quite sophisticated, and I, I wonder, if I'm a primary care doctor out there and I feel that I've got a, a child or youth that has these kinds of problems, how easy is it to find that kind of therapist? Do all therapists do this kind of therapy? That's the largest problem uh, with cognitive behavioral therapy is that there are not nearly enough trained professionals to meet the needs of the kids currently in the uh, mental health system, uh, not to, to speak of the kids who aren't in the system. Um, so one of the challenges is for us as mental health professionals uh, is to increase the number of therapists who are doing the best treatment for anxiety disorders. You might get some kind of therapist that's maybe no better than, I don't want to demean a therapist, but hand-holding uh, versus something more effective? Yes. How do you, how do you find such a person? There, there are a couple of websites. Uh, there is the uh, Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies, and their website is abct.org, uh, and they uh, list therapists who do behavior therapies, cognitive behavioral therapies, for anxiety and a wide variety of other, uh, other issues. And there's a second organization, uh, the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Uh, their website is adaa.org. And both of those have features on their websites where you can search for a provider in your home area. Uh, and now... A therapist that you get through one of those websites is not guaranteed to do the best treatment for anxiety, but there's a much higher chance that that person is likely doing cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety uh, than someone who wouldn't be involved in those organizations. So, Stephen, I, I hope uh, that we can begin to uh, start doing a better job both identifying those uh, those children and youth who have these problems, but also then making sure that they get into someone who has the kinds of skills that's going to be effective in addressing these difficulties. Uh, any final words you'd like to leave with our listeners? I think probably the most important message is that 
anxiety disorders are serious. Uh, they interfere with kids' happiness, they interfere with their development, and they can put them at greater risk for developing additional problems uh, later in life. Uh, but that they can be successfully treated. Uh, they're often overlooked, so it's important for us to be aware of them, uh, to be sensitive for them, and to uh, provide support and, uh, and treatment uh, when we find them. And it sounds like for our doctors to be on the lookout, to ask those critical questions you identified earlier. We've been talking to Dr. Stephen Whiteside. Stephen, thank you very much, and uh, I will see you back on the job. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Peter. You bet. Thank you for listening to updates from the Mayo Clinic. And thank you to Shire Pharmaceuticals, whose educational grant makes this program possible. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show and many others, or to download this segment, go to reachmd.com forward slash Mayo Clinic.